0: So uh, the title of this talk is Syncing with the Creator of the Universe, the Biblical Month, and the Calendar of Israel. And I'm going I'm to go through a couple of really basic questions here just to make sure we're all on the same page, just to, just to make sure we, uh, we're all kind of understanding each other. The first question is, does the universe have a creator? Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of people in this world who are really puzzling over that, aren't there? OK, so we're all on the same page. We have no um, sworn atheists in the room. We all believe that this universe has a creator. Yes. Yes. Excellent. So next question: Did our creator design his universe in a random, accidental or haphazard manner? OK, so we're all on the same page with that also. I have a couple pictures here to, to demonstrate the answer to this question. There's a model of a DNA molecule. Which is perfectly ordered. Here's a model of our solar system, which also is perfectly ordered. It runs like clockwork. Milky Way and molecular structure. I don't know about you, but to me, the reality of the creation, like on a microscopic level and on a macrocosmical level, it all communicates to me that we have a God who is very. Precise in how he designs things, and then how he makes them to run. And I personally believe that he continues to run the universe, even though there's some little problems on on planet Earth right now. So, okay, it's good to know that we're on we're on the same page with that. <laughs> Question: Can the Creator of the universe be interfaced with on a personal level? I mean, not only do we see that throughout history, as recorded in the scriptures, but I think we could probably eat. Relate a lot of experiences we've had where we did personally interface with him and have that heart to heart communion and, and uh, hear his voice and stuff, eh? So, good. And uh, finally, to follow up that thought, does our Creator relate and communicate with us in a random, accidental, or haphazard manner? No. I don't think he does. Maybe on our side, maybe it seems like it, hey? I know Colin was sharing in a Midrash down in Saskatoon several weeks ago about how God often dealt with our forefathers in the faith, not in terms of like touch and go every couple of days or even every couple of years, but he dealt with them in decades. You know, he, he appeared to Avram when he was 75 and said, leave um, you know, the place of your birth and uh, your father's house and go to the land I'll show you. So Avram goes and uh, how, how long is it before he has another vision of the Almighty? you know saying I'm going to give this land to your seed and I will give you children you know with the vision of this the going outside and looking at the stars and then it isn't for however many years after that so I mean on our side maybe it does seem a little unpredictable hey eh? but I personally I really love that about our God that he is unpredictable that we really can't domesticate or control him that he has you could almost even say like a wild side not in not in a like a rough around the edges or bad way but just in this just in the sense of like he's a God of Doing unpredictable things. <laughs> and he, he's such a leader in our relationship with him. Okay. So that was, uh, those were some thoughts just to start thinking about. We have a creator. He's created the universe with order. He communicates with us in the same way. Maybe, and, and maybe we don't always notice it, but why? Well, maybe if we straight, begin to look behind the scenes, maybe if we really delve deep in his word, maybe we can begin to discern those underlying patterns of his. The Bible calls them his ways. It says that the, the sons of Israel, they, they saw the action of Yahweh. That was public. Everybody knew that. But Moses had a special relationship with him. He knew his ways. So I, I really hope we can kind of discover some of his ways this evening. By the way, do you like my little, uh, what would you call it? My little logo in the bottom right-hand corner there for this, uh, for this talk? <laughs> I sync. It's about syncing with him. Uh, synchronizing, right? And also that's like the computer logo for when you sync a device to your computer. <laughs> you think that's cool? <laughs> Thanks, Colin. Question. Where did we get the idea of hours, days, weeks, months, and years from? Let's just go with the idea of days. Where did we get the ideas of days from? I mean, everybody in the world, you know, we think in terms of So isn't that cool? Everybody on everybody on planet Earth, like they sync with this idea of days and everything, but it originated with the creation and with him. And you know, the same thing with hours. Well, where do we get the concept of hours? Well, you probably remember, for instance, in the gospel accounts that the day was divided up into twelve hours. And you know, even now we uh basically have that same rough model with our Roman system of keeping time. That's where we got it from. Hey, In, in the West here, you have Roughly 12 hours to the day and 12 hours to the night. So that came straight from the Bible also. <laughs> Where do we get the concept of months from? Yeah. It isn't like the, the term month and moon actually, I think they're actually related originally from, from English, eh? So many moons ago it means many months ago, right? Okay, well, who created the moon to have these cycles that would regulate time? Well, we know, don't we? And of course, years also. So, are the concepts of days, weeks, months, and years actually divine institutions? Yes, they are. are. There's something that our wonderful Creator designed into His universe, and you know, I mean, we kind of have our own system that's a little off the original uh, biblical model. You know, with the 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 names of the days of the week, even. You know, we have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, of course, in the Bible, they're just called the first day of the week, the second day, and the whole the whole concept behind that, of course, is. When you count the days of the week, when you get to day seven, day seven is special. That's the day we stop our regular activities and we commemorate what? The creation of the universe. So, uh, you know, when you begin to think in terms of the original Hebrew mindset, everything points to him, which is very cool. It's like the fingerprints uh, prints of the Creator are just all over our, our lifestyles, And, of course, it's the uh, same with weeks, months, and years. So uh, let's read a verse together from Genesis Bereshit, chapter 1, verse 14. You can read along with me. Elohim said, Let there be lights in the expanse of sky to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Okay, so it says that he created the heavenly bodies actually for four things. For signs and for seasons and for days and years. Hmm. That's cool. We were just talking about this concept. So Genesis 1.14 proves that, you know, uh, these original ideas are divine institutions. And maybe he made them for a reason, too. Who knows? I guess we'll find out. Oh, yeah. So I guess for the seasons thing, that means that, like, uh, you know, he created the sun. And, you know, so you have, like, the vernal equinox and, uh, and, the, um, and the, you know, and, the, uh, and whatever. And then you have the spring, summer, winter, fall, right? That's what the seasons means. Uh, that's what the seasons means in English. Right? Oh I, actually, oh, I actually accidentally highlighted this with red here too about the seasons. That's interesting. I can't remember what the next slide is about. Why don't we have a look here? Oh, there's a Hebrew word. Well, it looks like it might describe what that seasons word is. Here, I'm, I'm going to have a look at this just a second. Sometimes I go into my genius mode and I forget what I'm doing, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, so here we have this word, and it's mo'adim. Mo'adim. And it's translated as seasons in most of our Bibles, but in all the other places in the Bible, it's usually translated as appointed time. Sometimes it's also translated as feasts in the King James Bible. So it says, for instance, in Leviticus 23, these are the feasts of the Lord. In the Hebrew, it says these are the Moedim, or the appointed times of the Lord. So, isn't this interesting? Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, and our, like, all-wise Creator... Who foresees all of history is already making this design so that he has a calendar system with appointed times with his people. Isn't that interesting? So, we would also uh, call Moedim the biblical festivals. It's talking about that. And, of course, the calendar of Israel. And uh, calling it the calendar of Israel here simply because it's the people of Israel who have preserved this biblical uh, method of reckoning time. And they've. Uh, Sometimes taking some hits for that, and of course, you know, it's also based on the scriptures. So we're just going to go through a couple of questions about why the biblical festivals and the calendar of Israel matter to us as New Covenant believers. I think sometimes, you know, when we read the Bible, we say, "Well, this is this is uh, something in the Old Testament," and of course, the Old Testament is old. And we live in a new era, so nothing from the Old Testament really applies to us anymore as covenant believers. So what we're going to do here is we're going to look at whether that uh, whether that idea really works in view of the whole counsel of the Word of God, in view of our Messiah's example, in view of maybe what the Bible itself has to say about the Bible, about the about the Old Testament, and also about the uh, biblical festivals. So here is the first one. Why do the biblical festivals and the calendar of Israel matter to us as New Covenant believers? Number one is, they are dates with our bridegroom. You know, if you you study history, the history of God's interactions with His people, you discover that a lot of the significant times when He has spoken to His people, when He has done things like poured out the Holy Spirit on them at Pentecost, which is a biblical festival, Shavuot, yeah. Um, Or when He's done so many things like that, it's usually on the Moedim on His appointed times, with His people. And I really believe that our God has never changed. I I believe that the way that He interacts with us as His people hasn't changed. Therefore, if that's the way He did it then, then I I hope that's the way He does it now. I hope He hasn't pulled a fast one on us. (laughs) So uh, that's that's a great reason to be in touch with these things. Always remembering that at the very heart of understanding the Biblical calendar is relating to our Messiah. Our, Our chief motivation is so that we know when he's inviting us out on a date with him as his bride. <laughs> that whole concept of a moed, uh, uh, an appointed time, it's like a rendezvous or a date. So I have a little, I'm going to do a little impromptu skit with Genevieve for this part. And we actually haven't practiced this, so I hope you guys just have fun with it for us. Okay, Genevieve, so let's see. I need you to go to your house, which in this situation happens to be, hmm. You know, why don't we make your house right over here? This is a nice little area here. So here's your, here's your chair in your house. Here's the front door. Okay, so just sit down there. And uh, now, Genevieve and I take off your wedding ring for this skit, Genevieve. We're not married at this point. Hmm. So, you know, this, this, this girl here, I actually don't even know her name, but she's really caught my eye. And okay this is kind of funny because like I really believe in the whole like courtship and betrothal model as compared to the like dating and engagement model and we can talk about that some other time but in this case I'm just gonna be your regular Western guy so we're gonna do the dating thing okay so I'm like man you know that that girl down the street she really catches my eye she's just so pretty and I just want to talk with her I want to get to know her she just I think about her all the time so uh, I'm I'm gonna go out ask her on a date that's what I'm gonna do yeah I'm gonna ask her on a date and uh, you know, I just—I uh, was just at Walmart, and I got my new uh, my new pocket calendar here. Yeah, I don't know. It was just pocket calendars, and uh, the next uh, it had another thing with like desktop calendars or something. But this one was over in the pocket calendar, so I assume it's a real pocket calendar. So I'm just gonna put this in my pocket so I can write the date or whatever. Oh boy, it's not feeling very good. Calendar. Oh, oh, okay. All right, thank you. Okay, I think I got it in my pocket. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna go and talk to this girl. Oh, I've never done this before. I'm actually really nervous right now. Oh, um, front door is where over here. Ooh, it's bright. The sunshine is blinding. So. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I've seen you before. <laughs> um. Yes. I don't know. I think I know you. Yeah. really you? I think so too. <laughs> what I was thinking, is maybe maybe we should get to know each other a little better. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yes. Okay. How about um. Starbucks? Do you like Starbucks? Would you like to go out for coffee? Uh, that's what I'm asking you. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, Okay, yeah, how about, um, m- what's a good time for you? Oh, mornings are good. Morning? Okay, uh, what's a good time for morning? Oh, say, 8. Oh, uh, actually, I think I'd like to go in the evening. Oh, okay, yeah, good. <laughs> how about Monday evening at 7? Oh, only Monday evening? I, I don't have anything else going that day. Any other evenings?
1: <laughs> oh, oh, my whole week's open?
0: Oh. No, that will be best. I have a okay, pretty yeah. pretty, okay. yeah, pretty yeah. busy schedule. Okay. The rest of the week. Let me get on my little day timer yeah. here. That will be very important. Time. I will write it on my calendar. To oh, you have the calendar. Okay, perfect. No. Okay, good. Okay, Monday. Uh, Just write it down, and we won't forget. And I'll make sure I write it down too. Okay. Seven o'clock. Monday. Starbucks. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> okay. Well. I'll see you later. Okay. <laughs> Catch you later. <laughs> Okay! Yes! we It's Monday! I've never done this before. This is so exciting! Okay! So, I'm going to go home here. So, time rolls around. Mm, this is my home here. I need my remote control yeah. Oh yeah, I'm home from work. 6:30. Oh yeah, it's been a long day. I'm so tired. Oh. And oh, the writers' game is on tonight. Right on. Oh, it just started. Too perfect time. Just enough time to get my craft dinner out. Oh, oh. it's uh, seven o'clock. Shoot. Uh, I think I had something going on this evening. What do I have going on? Oh the rider the rider's game. Right, okay, yes. This is great. Yeah, yeah! Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, Eleven o'clock. I'm tired of infomercials. To bed. Okay, go to work. Yeah, so uh Genevieve. Yeah, I was gonna go on a date with her that uh, right. It was some evening this week. Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Yeah, seven o'clock. Right on. So I'm gonna go. Oh, you know what? It's only six thirty, but I'm so excited to see her. I'm gonna go. It's like um, Tuesday evening, six thirty. Yeah, I could probably go hang out there for half an hour. I get my, get my coffee. Oh, there's my coffee, right? Oh, right in time. Seven o'clock in the evening. Seven thirty. I'm beginning to get bored. It's eight o'clock already where she nine o'clock. I've been here for two hours. I think she showed me up. I'm at Starbucks. Who are you? Yeah, you're in Starbucks too, buddy. Okay. Just wondering who you're waiting for. You're talking to yourself, man. Yeah, well, uh, you don't even know where you are, so I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should stop at her house and see if she's there or what happened. Um, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Forgot my D timer. Shoot. I'm going to have to go get that one. My pocket day timer. Man. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Uh, Perseverance. I remember reading the Bible. The importunate woman. Hello. Hi. So, uh, where were you? Where was I? Yeah. I, I was there for two hours already. Uh, two hours where? Uh, you know, at Starbucks. Nobody knows where, where Starbucks is no, this you, evening. you didn't show up. I was there. No, I was there. I was, I've been there for the last two hours. I didn't no, see you walk in the door. I wrote it down in my planner. Monday night at 7. I was so excited. I would not forget and I was there. Oh. Didn't you write uh, on your pocket? What evening is it? Eh, oh, oh. oh, my watch says it's actually um, Tuesday the 17th. And uh, it was written down for the 16th, wasn't it? Oh. Yes. But I was there for 7 o'clock in the evening, just like you said. That's pretty good. Eh. Not quite oh. good enough. <laughs> Maybe next week. <laughs> this is painful can we get in the skit (laughs) now okay and uh, thankfully things did work out and we did get married and uh, we're now living happily ever after (laughs) thanks so what was (laughs) <laughs> yes. Okay. So the question is, what was my objective in the first place in going and knocking on Genevieve's door and asking if we could go out for coffee? I to deepen your friendship. Right. I wanted to get acquainted. Right. I wanted to deepen my friendship and all that stuff. And uh, what did what did I ask her out on? Oh my God! You guys, you guys. This, this is a Hebrew speaking okay. congregation. That's right. I asked her out on a moed a date, And uh, where did things fall through? I forgot to (laughs) look at my calendar, right. And uh, I just thought any old time would work. But as it turns out, there are times when if we want to connect with someone, we have to be at the right place at the right time or we just miss them. Mm -hmm. Which is tragic. And uh, that's the whole point of the skid, eh? That's the whole concept also be- behind the Moedim, the biblical festivals. There, there are times, I personally believe, where our Messiah, he invites us out on dates. He'd he like to get together with us as a people. He, he, he wants to, you know, he wants to see us, but he also wants to reveal himself to us. And, I mean, I'm a big believer that, you know, that, of course, like the Father's accessible 24-7, right? We can come to him anytime. I mean, that's, that's so important. That's a, that's a major principle uh, through our high priest the issue with the Messiah, right? But uh, I I also think that, you know, uh, from a Christian background, we're pretty strong in that aspect, aren't we? You know, that God's accessible anytime. But I think sometimes what we don't understand so much is that God does have a calendar that he designed in Genesis chapter 1 specifically for appointed times, so that we could have special times as a people to meet with him, maybe to have special themes for our meetings with him. You know, and that's what the biblical festivals are all about. Each one kind of has its own theme. Passover, of course, is Yeshua, the Lamb of God. That's the theme. And of course, there's more to it also. You know, you have Shavuot or Pentecost 50 days later. What's the theme of that? Well, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's also the day when He spoke from Mount Sinai and gave the Torah. So, you know, you kind of see it going through, and each of these days has a theme. It's a special time to meet with Him. I, I even think of uh, the, uh, the appointed time in Jerusalem in the temple on that Pentecost morning, on Shavuot. I mean,. You know, if uh, the believers had missed that, they would have missed out on that original outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That would have been too bad. I mean, you would have really regretted that later in your life if you could have been there and you weren't. So I kind of wonder if maybe sometimes God doesn't still work that way. Maybe it's something to keep in the backs of our minds. (laughs) Any, Any questions or comments on that? Okay, great. So, question number two, or, uh, regarding why do the biblical festivals and the calendar of Israel matter to us as New Covenant believers? Um, second thought is the calendar of Israel is the heritage of believers who've been grafted in. I mean, you know, for for uh, for people from the nation of Israel, for Jewish people, this is this is their heritage, and it's kind of a matter of fact, right? We just take that for granted. I think sometimes we don't like uh, realize though is. Paul was really excited about believers being grafted into the nation of Israel, about being how they were brought near, how how like the biblical heritage that the Jewish people maintained became theirs also um, through the Messiah. And I think maybe that applies to the whole um, God's uh, calendar and stuff. Let's let's read this passage together that uh, that Paul wrote, because I think and maybe we can really try and sense like the emotion in his voice that this is something he's excited about. You were at that time separate from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah, you who once were far off have been brought near through you through Yeshua in the blood of Messiah, for he is our peace, who made both one. Amen. So isn't it interesting? He says you were alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel in other words now you're not you were strangers from the covenants of the promise now you're not and he said you know once you were far away but now you have been brought near through the blood of messiah you've been brought near to the heritage of the people of Israel you've been brought near to the covenants with the fathers Abraham Isaac and and Jacob and uh... and and to top it all off he is our shalom our peace and he made us one and so you know, you kind of have the question in the first century, was it the people of Israel who were grafted into the Gentiles and who therefore needed to take upon themselves like Gentile ways and the Gentile calendar and stuff? Or was it maybe vice versa? Was it the, the, the people from the nations who were grafted into the nation of Israel and who therefore received that biblical heritage? Well, I think it was the latter, wasn't it? And so if we are to be one as a people, you know, and this is, this is a wonderful theme right now is God is... Is bringing Jewish people to himself in the last three or four or five decades, especially, if we are to be one as a people, then those of us from the nations have to come to understand our heritage, so that we can experience that unity as you know, Jewish and non-Jewish believer, one in Messiah. Yeshua said that through our unity, the world would know that God sent him. He said that through our unity, he would be glorified. So I know that this is something close to the heart of God, and historically, actually. If you ask yourself what the first major church split was in all of history. There have been a lot of church splits through history, but what was the the very first one? Anyone have any ideas? Yeah, I think the first major church split was between Jewish and Gentile believers. You know, there was a a movement of Gentile believers who said, you know, uh, we don't really want to have much to do with our Jewish heritage or the Jewish roots of our faith. And there were historical reasons for that. There was a lot of anti-Semitism in the Roman Empire. They had special taxes for you if you did anything Jewish. So they kind of, they kind of separated themselves. you know, And, and that, that's tragic. Church splits are always tragic, right? So the fact that God is bringing his people together in our generation from Jewish and non-Jewish backgrounds is amazing because he's solving the original church split. He's, he's bringing healing there. And I really believe that that's going to bring massive healing to the whole body of Messiah. And I think we're seeing that in our generation. So, synchronizing, therefore, our lives to the calendar of Israel helps Jewish and non-Jewish believers move as one and helps us all move as one with the Messiah. So it's kind of like this beautiful dance, right? He's leading this dance and, uh, of course, he just does it through the Holy Spirit. And there's this beautiful spontaneous element, right? Right? and this unpredictable side to how he relates to us but there's also this side to him where he interacts with us through the Moadim his dates that he invites us on and uh, tonight the biblical New Moon is one of them. Do you like all the little uh, sync icons that I I have there for you? (laughs) yeah so uh, I actually have about a two-minute video of Irish dancers and it is phenomenal to see just how they move as one. And I thought it was the best picture that we could see of the unity that the Father is calling us to as a people. You know, when we sync with Him in the Holy Spirit, when we sync with each other, when we understand His calendar, it is phenomenal. It glorifies Him. So maybe we can watch that together. Maybe you can hit the lights too. Can someone hit the lights? Have to do it here again. do you think? Does that, does that give you some feel for maybe just the power and, and the motion that can happen when we really sync with Him and with each other in the Holy Spirit and the ways of His Word? <laughs> I know for me, I really enjoy that. Okay, number three out of our six, uh, six uh, points here. Why do the biblical festivals and the calendar of Israel matter to us as new covenant believers? Because we are called to be disciples. And to make disciples. That's the core of our calling, isn't it? You know, when Yeshua walked through people's lives, He said, come follow me. Come and uh, be a disciple to me. And when He sent His people out, He said, go and make disciples. What is discipleship? Discipleship means imitating a rabbi. And of course, you know, the, the Hebrew term rabbi, it just means your teacher, Right? But I like, I like to use the term rabbi sometimes because it helps me remember kind of the original Jewish model of discipleship and the fact that I have a Jewish Messiah. And uh, I'm sure you notice too in the, in the Bible that people call them rabbi quite often. <clears throat> Let's read this verse together. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the servant like his master. So what's the what's our objective as disciples? Become like Messiah. To become like our teacher, the Messiah. That's correct. Maybe that even plays out in lifestyle choices that we make, or you know, maybe even sometimes the way we structure our worship life, or uh, the calendar that we sync with in certain areas of our lives. Little disclaimer too: I'm not suggesting you go home and like rip off your January, February, March calendar off your wall or anything like that. Obviously, we need it, right? But what I'm saying is maybe there's more to uh, to this than what we've experienced so far. So here's the big question. Ah, I kind of adapted this because, you know, I like to use Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua. So WWYD. What would Yeshua do? Or, maybe even better, the question would be (laughs) WDYD. What did Yeshua do? Actually, I found a a site that sells t-shirts that say WDYD on what did Yeshua do? And then it has this checkmark list of things that he actually did, that you know many of us today have lost touch with. And one of them is doing the biblical festivals and things. She's excited. I, I don't know. You tell me. What does it look like to you? I think she's happy. too. She she's happy because she's discovering that it's not only about what would Jesus do, but it, but what did Jesus do. <laughs> There's a hint at the bottom there for you. Yeshua the Messiah, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we're wondering what Jesus would do, the best thing to do is stop and look at what he did do, (laughs) because it's highly probable that he hasn't changed, based on the truth of the Bible. (laughs) So I guess the next question would be then, what was the calendar that our rabbi used in his daytimer, and uh, what was the calendar he structured his worship life according to? Use the daytimer loosely, right? But I mean yeah he did he did regulate his life with different uh, schedules and uh, he did have rhythms that he followed you know how I like read from the end of Matthew chapter 11 from the message paraphrase and he talked about the rhythms of grace it's kind of that idea you know so that kind of this question kind of answers itself doesn't it (laughs) and for me anyway that's my biggest inspiration in getting in touch with the Hebrew roots of our faith with understanding the torah you know the first books of the bible and the basic life instructions given there this is stuff that my rabbi did and i've personally found that as i've connected with that and discovered it for myself my faith has come alive my faith has deepened and it's it's been so enriched number four in answer to the question of why do these things matter to us as new covenant believers because they mattered to paul and the other authors of the New Covenant scriptures, the New Testament. We're going to read a series of verses here from the book of Acts that talk about Paul and his t- the way he measured time, the way he regulated his life, and I think you'll find them interesting. Let's read this verse together from Acts chapter 20, verse 6. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas in five days, where we stayed seven days. This is interesting, isn't it? Here's Luke, uh, Paul's very close traveling companion. And decades after the resurrection of Messiah, he's still referencing the way they, uh, you know, did time and made their plans and everything by one of these biblical festivals. Specifically, unleavened bread, which is how many days long? That's right. How do we say unleavened bread in, in Hebrew, just for fun? Matzah, that's correct, or matzah in plural. Don't you love that picture of like the piece of leaven bread with the X there? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, let's read this one together from Acts chapter 20 verse 16. For Paul had determined to sail past Ephesus that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening if it were possible for him to be in Jerusalem on the day of Shavuot of course Shavuot is weeks or Pentecost isn't this interesting he was making a beeline for Jerusalem the holy city to be there for a biblical festival it's almost like it mattered to him or something hey I believe it did I believe that this was something that pulsed very deep in the heart of the Apostle and I believe that it's only when we really tap into that and we understand this passion of his that we can understand certain things in his letters also this is context here's a picture from shavuot in two thousand eight and the sun is just rising its early morning and as you can see the place is packed out i actually got to be in jerusalem there at the temple mount for shavuot i think it was the spring of two thousand four it's a tradition to stay up all night studying the word on shavuot and then in the morning before sunrise to go in and be there and just be there praying which I think is a very ancient tradition and might explain why all the believers were together before it was even really very early in the morning on Shavuot when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Um, so that's what Paul wanted to be, for, be there for. He, he was rushing to be to Jerusalem for a one day festival so he could be part of something like this. <clears throat> Let's read this scripture together. When much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because the fast had now already gone by, Paul admonished them. Acts 27, 9 So this is the instance where they're on the ship, winter setting in, and Paul confronts the captain and says, "I don't think we're going to make it if we head out on this voyage. I don't think you should do it." It's, uh, interesting how Luke mentions the fast as if we actually knew what he was talking about. What did the did, they, uh, did Paul and Luke kind of set, a, set aside some day so they could fast because you know they wanted to seek traveling mercies or what was this about? Well. The fast is just the Hebrew idiom for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And Paul and Luke were traveling. So it's not like they were in Israel where everybody, you know, observed the Day of Atonement. It's not like they were in the temple area where it was a huge event and people would flock to the city and traffic would stop, you know. All the cars back then would just be parked and the roads would be empty and everything. <laughs> you know, it, they, were, they were out on the road, right? And it's it highly probable that there weren't any... Or very many other Jewish people on the ship or whatever. So the fact that he talks about the fast means that this was still something they kept track of. It's something that still mattered to them. And of course, the whole point with all these biblical festivals that we're referencing is you can only, these guys could only know when these days were if they were tracking with God's calendar. So it tells me this was important to the early Christians and the authors of the New Testament. Let's read one more here a quote straight from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 4. I do not wish to see you now in passing, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay at Ephesus until Shavuot. Interesting, hey? Another example of how he, he, he marks his day timer structured around the biblical festivals. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that, you know, as I've, I've really embraced the celebration of the biblical festivals in response to my Messiah's example, and as I see the, the rich depth in them, I've kind of found myself doing the same thing. I think, okay, yeah, Passover is going to be during this week, so I want to be wherever for it, so I'll plan ahead and plan after, etc. It's cool how that actually works. <laughs> this is a longer passage here, but I just think it is such a profound one and one that often we overlook as believers today that I think it's it's worth reading so uh, it's Acts chapter 20 verses 20 to 24 and uh, this is when Paul goes up to Jerusalem he meets with James and the elders and uh, this is the account they said to him you see brother you can read along if you want but you don't have to for this one how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed and they're all zealous for the Torah they've been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you've come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow, which would be a Nazarite vow, of course. Which is interesting that the early believers were still doing that. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses for them. Um, Doing a Nazarite vow was expensive because you had to go to Jerusalem and offer several animals in the temple. So these believers were doing that. And they, they were suggesting that Paul cover the expenses for all of these animal sacrifices. That they may shave their heads, that then all will know that there is no truth in the things that they've, they have been informed about you, but that you yourself also walk, keeping the Torah. And of course, Paul goes along with this plan. It seems like a good idea to him. Um, one of the best ways to just publicly state his, uh, his, his stance with regards to these things. So, you know, unfortunately, I think often when we read the Bible, we don't get past the first half. We say, oh, look it. Paul taught all the Jews to forsake Moses, don't circumcise their children, don't walk after the Jewish traditions. That's, you know, that's kind of standard idea about Paul, hey? Really. But when we just read the Bible and, like, believe what it says, you know, let it speak for itself historically, it's really obvious from the second half of this that they were trying to disprove that false rumor. And that Paul was a man who continued to keep the Torah, but my understanding would be that he did it from, let's call it a grace-driven perspective. He did it in response to following Messiah. His motivations in his heart were definitely different than your maybe some of your average guys who are trying to do it for salvation or righteousness or whatever. I love this quote from Paul. Let's read it together. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Messiah. Amen. So that is at the core of synchronization. He's saying, I'm syncing with the Messiah. You know, as I see him having acted, as I see the lifestyle that he lived, I'm also imitating that, which is at the heart of discipleship, isn't it? And imitate me to that degree. And I personally, like, it's an aspiration of mine to be able to see that. You know, to to just really grow in my discipleship and the quality of my imitation of the Master to the point, and I I hope this can be for each of us too, to the point where we can say, you know, like I'm doing my best to follow Him and to the degree that you see me following Him, follow along with me. Uh, That's that's a life goal of mine. Get ready for a history blast. Are you ready? (laughs) Okay, good. This history, you have to get geared up for history, right? You have to know why you're studying it. Otherwise, it can be a little... All kinds of different things. Okay, so here's our history blast. Yeshua's disciples were originally called Nazarenes. Everybody say Nazarenes. Nazarenes. And were regarded as a sect of Judaism. Why? Because they were. (laughs) Here's here's a quote from Acts chapter twenty four. This is a a lawyer who is accusing Paul of some stuff. For we found this man to be a plague. Another translation says a pest. (laughs) Paul was a pesty fellow an instigator of insurrections among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes so this is just a a little a little uh, historical snapshot of how the outside world looked at Yeshua's disciples as a community as a sect a Jewish sect and they were called the Nazarenes okay so that's the first part of the history history blast Here's an interesting quote from Marcel Simon, who is a French Catholic professor and first century church expert. I don't know, for those of you who like, keep track with uh, trends in the academic world, you know, for those of you who are kind of watching when, when scholars are studying and they realize, you know what, we've had this wrong. It turns out that the earth really isn't flat. For example, um, this, this has been a huge one in the last... It, it actually started about 100 years ago that scholars began realizing that Jesus was Jewish. And the Jewishness of Jesus became a huge trend in, in, the, in, the, in the academic world. And it's now really kind of come full circle and we're beginning to realize it down on the grassroots level, okay? Well, that was the Jewishness of Jesus a hundred years ago. About 50 years ago, scholars began to realize that Paul didn't just quit being Jewish when he came to Yeshua. That he continued to be Jewish. He continued to have a Jewish heart, express himself in that kind of way. Even, even as like the, the passage we read in Acts, he continued to celebrate the biblical festivals as an expression of his faith, he continued to keep the Torah, the first books of the Bible. So uh, this is a big, big realization about the early Christians in general. Um, he says, they, referring to the Nazarenes, well represent, although Epiphanius is energetically refusing to admit it, the very direct descendants of that early community, of which our author knows that it was designated by the Jews by the same name of Nazarenes. So basically, what this this scholar is saying is that even though Epiphanius, who was a Roman Catholic historian from the late 300s, early 400s, even though he kind of tried to avoid this fact, the Nazarenes continued to be a believing community up until the 400s. And did you ever stop and think about this? Simon Peter got married. He was the first pope, but he did get married and he had children. Even, I guess, popes weren't supposed to do that or something like that. But, you know, uh, Paul talked about that. What happened to the children of Simon Peter? What about his grandchildren? Did they stay with the faith? What what, what happened to them after the Jewish people were expelled from the land of Israel in 70 AD? Uh, What about all the other apostles? What about Yeshua's brothers and uh, their families? What happened to all these guys? Did they just assimilate into the Gentile majority? Well, history very clearly states that they actually didn't. They continued to be a viable and legitimate expression of faith in Messiah, Jewish faith in Messiah. And history is actually has a lot to say about these guys. And it's history that we often overlook because sometimes it doesn't fit some of our our revisions of history or our theology. Let's read a couple of really basic quotes about the Nazarenes. Um, the first one is by Jerome. He was like one of the early Catholic wonder boys. He translated the Bible into Latin. It's called the Latin Vulgate. He says the Nazarenes accept Christ in such a way that they don't cease to observe the old law. So in other words, 400 years after Messiah, the literal descendants of the apostles like Peter and uh, the literal descendants of Yeshua's own brothers, they continued to cherish their expression of faith according to the old law, as Jerome called it. Um, Epiphanius, this is the gentleman that... Marcel Simon here was referencing. Epiphanius uh, says, They have no different ideas, but confess everything exactly as the law proclaims it, and in the Jewish fashion, except for their belief in Christ, if you please. So he's saying, they really, they're really no different than other Jewish people, except that they believe in Christ. For they acknowledge both the resurrection of the dead and the divine creation of all things, and declare that God is one. What do we call that? The declaration that God is one. The Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. We sing that every Shabbat, don't we? Interesting that the early believers also sang the Shema. They declared the oneness of God. And that his son is Jesus Christ. So just two basic quotes from church historians in the late 300s, early 400s. That the sect of the Nazarenes, the original believers in Yeshua, were still around. They still expressed their faith in the way that Yeshua taught them to. And it happened to include things like the biblical festivals. Nobody say, wow. Yeah. Okay. We have two more little topics on this. Why do the biblical festivals and the calendar of Israel matter to us as new covenant believers? Because Yeshua taught that observing and teaching God's commandments is an essential component to greatness for His majesty. Each one of us lives in the service of the King, don't we? And interestingly enough, God actually calls us to be great for Him. When Yeshua talked about being great in the kingdom, he talked about it as a good thing. He talked about it as something that we want to aspire to. Why? Because the degree to which we're truly great for him is the degree to which we honor his name in this world. And that's a good thing. See, the cool thing is Yeshua didn't talk about how the way to greatness is by climbing the corporate ladder or viciously backstabbing people or following the ways of the world. He talked about how the, the way to greatness is, firstly, by being a servant and serving you know our brothers and sisters in the faith and secondly by taking God's word seriously and incorporating it in our lives and actually doing the stuff and teaching other people to do the same Um, I'll read this verse here to you and uh, just kinda let the the whole idea sink into your mind and let the context of this really sink in also what he's talking about here don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets of course the laws the Torah I didn't come to destroy but to fulfill for most certainly i tell you until heaven and earth pass away not even one smallest letter or one tiny pen stroke shall in any way pass away from the law until all things are accomplished whoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven now let me ask you here if we you know context is super important when we read the bible when he's talking about God's commandments and, and how when we incorporate these in our lifestyles and do them, and not only that, but we model them for other people, how that's like the way to become great in his kingdom, which commandments is he talking about? Is he talking about stuff in Paul's epistles? Paul's epistles, are of course, are included. They're author- the authoritative word of God. But they weren't around in Yeshua's time. So we know that he wasn't talking about that. What contextually was he talking about? he's talking he begins by talking about the torah here and how he he, he came to fulfill it and not do away with it hey and he talks about how even even the little letters and the pen strokes and everything from the torah so we know from the scripture that contextually yeshua is saying that in the kingdom and in the kingdom lifestyle there's definitely a place for incorporating god's commandments from the old testament into our lifestyles you know I, i really don't think that he he taught these guys this and then a couple of years later when he died, he changed the whole picture. <laughs> I mean, that would be a... I, I think that would be inconsistent with him. You know, we, we already talked about how he modeled discipleship for us. How he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that really kind of rules out that, that notion. So, you know, that's, a, that's just a really basic inspiration for me to study... God's Word from Genesis to Revelation to see to find every commandment that's applicable to me and incorporate them into my lifestyle and do them as best as I can with all my heart and with the right motivations and uh, also to teach other people to do them and each of us in this room I I hope have that same aspiration to to do the Word and also to teach it to others okay last one (laughs) why do the biblical festivals and the calendar of Israel matter to us as New Covenant believers because we'll be celebrating the biblical festivals and living by the calendar of Israel when our king returns. This gets me excited. Because so far we've been talking about the past. We've been talking about history. Now we're talking about our future as a people. I, I personally get excited thinking about this. You know, we kind of have this concept also that you know, if we can just make it until Jesus comes back. And then we're just going to float away. And I don't know what's going to happen after that. Who cares, you know? I mean, like, we'll just be really happy, right? And Everything will be perfect. And I'm going to have my mansion and my harp. And I'm set. (laughs) And I mean, you know, it is true that the the new Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven to where? We'll have streets of gold. And I don't know. I, I hope we're not living in a bunch of hovels at that time. And I'm sure we'll be playing music. I love music. I'd love to learn the harp but is that the whole picture of what happens when the king returns (laughs) not exactly actually we're not just going to fly away and everything's going to be ethereal after that we're going to meet the master in the air but it says very clearly after that in the end of zechariah his feet are touching down on the mount of olives and he's going to stick around for a while after that and also and the saints are going to be sticking around with him revelation chapter 20 describes the thousand-year period of time when several things will happen. Satan will be bound, we're all going to be cheering our lungs out when that happens, the righteous are going to be resurrected, and Messiah is going to rule from Jerusalem. I'm looking forward to that. This period in history is generally called the thousand-year reign of Christ, the Messianic Era. That's what Jewish people would call it, the Messianic Era. I wanted to teach you that term. So if you're like talking with a Jewish person about when Messiah comes and what it's going to look like, talk about the Messianic era and they'll understand what you're talking about. Don't talk about going to heaven and playing your harp. (laughs) Uh, The Millennial Sabbath, you know, there's this uh, understanding in the Bible that we have 6,000 years of human history and then that last 1,000 year period is like the Millennial Sabbath. And this is something all the early Christians understood. You see it in uh, some of the extra biblical literature from that time, like the Epistle of Barnabas, etc. That's probably why John didn't take a lot of time to really define what he was talking about here. I think he just took it for granted that everybody understood. And they get that from in the Psalms where it says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. That was his answer to critics who would say, Where's the Messiah? He's been gone for a long time. He's not coming back. It's been almost 2,000 years. Well, you don't understand that with him, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like a day. Therefore, the week of creation is like a template for all of human history. You have six thousand years of action and human activity, and then you have the thousand years of Sabbath. So that's what that's what it's gonna feel like when Yeshua comes back. The kingdom, of course the kingdom's here now, right? But when Yeshua comes back, it's gonna be like the fullness of the kingdom implemented on planet Earth and uh, another Jewish term for that period of time is called the Days of Messiah everybody say the Days of, Messiah. Days of Messiah excellent so I kinda touched on this already but why isn't this period of time described in detail in Revelation 20 did anybody notice that he basically is like, Satan will be bound, the, the, dead are, the righteous dead are going to be raised, they'll reign with him for a thousand years, and then at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released. And it, like, it doesn't say anything about what happens during the thousand years, or what it looks like, or anything. I mean, isn't that like the period of time that all of history has been looking forward to? Isn't that what like, we believers are longing for? Why doesn't it say anything about it? Anybody have any conjectures? Really? Yeah, right, in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Bible, there are a lot of prophecies that describe that period of time, aren't there? Yeah, maybe it's the whole fulfillment of God's Word. Maybe mm-hmm. it's than would imagine. So you, you're saying that God's Word isn't fully fulfilled yet? Yeah. Hmm, can you give me an example? Uh, sure. Like, I remember Paul you about the festivals in Colossians. Mm-hmm. He they said they're picture things to come. Okay. Right. So the festivals are a picture of things to come. Therefore, they're going to be fulfilled to greater degrees. Hmm. Yeah, maybe in the kingdom. Right. Yes. But is Passover fulfilled, though? Because, I mean, Yeshua did come as the Lamb of God and everything. Um, yeah, it's been fulfilled. Maybe not the way though. Yeah. I just remember, you, I think it was you that pointed out to me that Yeshua said, I won't drink of this fruit of the vine with you, referring to the Passover cup, again, until it's fulfilled in my Father's kingdom. Right. So, I mean, I always thought Passover was fully fulfilled, like, you know. But apparently, Yeshua said there are still greater layers of meaning with Passover that are only going to be fulfilled in His Father's kingdom, i.e., when He gets back. I guess we'll be doing Passover with the Master in the kingdom when He comes back. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. So, that's, that's, that's what I think. You know, if you, if you read the scriptures with the perspective that the Messiah's coming back to fulfill the promises that God made to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, everything comes into perspective. You know, like, God promised to Abraham that he would give him the land of Israel forever, didn't he? And uh, he promised that the people of Israel would dwell securely in the land. He promised that he would save them. There are a lot of promises that haven't been fulfilled to the Jewish people yet, to the God's people, Israel. And that tells me that maybe some of these things are going to be fulfilled when the king returns. Yeah, right. It does say that. So no one will teach each other. Yeah. That means I, I won't be standing, I, I'm going to be out of a job at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Because it says no one will teach each other, right? But uh, yeah, the Spirit will be so alive and active. And and it also says that His glory will cover the earth like waters cover the seas. I don't know, like the waters really cover the seas pretty thoroughly too, don't they? (laughs) I never understood that idiom. (laughs) So that tells me there's still more to come, isn't there? Maybe we'll see the fulfillment of that during that thousand years. And uh, I guess maybe when that little boy in the picture sees, sees that happen, then he won't have to scratch his head anymore let's read this uh, scripture together for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me says Yahweh so your seed and your name shall remain it shall happen that from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath shall all flesh come to worship before me says Yahweh Isaiah 66 22 and 23 so this is all these scriptures are from the world English Bible it's the new like public domain Translation, And it's actually kind of cool because they decided to leave God's name in the text as it is. So look that up on the internet if you want. I think it's one of the, the big up and coming translations. So this is interesting. Has there ever been a time when the weekly Sabbath and the monthly biblical new moon are like global days of worship? No, there has not been a time. When all flesh, in other words, like all of humanity comes to worship the Creator. No, there hasn't. Could this be a picture of the thousand year reign of Christ? I personally think it is. Isn't that gonna be cool? So, you know, for those of us who are really getting in sync with God's rhythms of grace, you know, with the biblical calendar, with the whole the, the whole concept of the Sabbath and uh and even like the new moons and stuff you're like just getting on the bandwagon early because when you see what comes back there's a really good chance that everybody's gonna be doing this so I don't know if if, if sometimes it's like kinda feels weird to be doing stuff from the Bible that most of our like Western culture isn't doing just like pat yourself on the back and console yourself with the fact that you're just ahead of the game here okay one day everybody's gonna be doing this stuff and it's gonna be the norm and not doing it is gonna be weird in fact, it's going to be more than weird. Here's an example of what's going to happen during the Messianic era, the days of Messiah, to nations who don't want to get on board with the Messiah and His, uh, his, his plan. I'll just read this to you because it's kind of long. It will happen that everyone who is left of all the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, Yahweh of armies, and to keep the festival of Sukkot, which is booths or tabernacles, isn't it? This is interesting. It will be that whoever of all the families of the earth doesn't go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, Yahweh of armies, on them, there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt doesn't go up and doesn't come, neither will it rain on them. This will be the plague with which Yahweh will strike the nations that don't go up to keep the festival of Sukkot. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that don't go up to keep the Feast of Tents. So, basically, what we just see here is another snapshot of that thousand year period of time when we have our heavenly bridegroom back with us in person. Apparently all the nations are going to be going up to Jerusalem to worship the king. And it actually might not bode very well for those governments that try and resist his, his rule. So, you know, another example of how you only know when Sukkot is by understanding the concepts of the biblical new month, etc. Um, Hopefully that inspires you. Our celebration of the biblical festivals and our syncing with the calendar of Israel is actually a sign of the coming theocracy under Yeshua the Messiah. I hope I can use the term theocracy. (laughs) It might scare some people, but that's basically the rule of God. right? A theocracy is like divine government. And that's what the world's going to be under when Yeshua comes back. It's going to be a benevolent theocracy. It's going to be a kind theocracy. But it's also going to be very firm. He's going to rule with a rod of iron, isn't he? So it will also be a benevolent dictatorship, I guess you could say. I'm looking forward to that. There might be a couple governments who are going to be really upset when that happens. <laughs> Especially governments who, like, base their whole ideology on the premise that God doesn't exist. Just a, just a thought. They might have some traumatic times when, like, this stuff starts to get phased in. Okay. So that, that's my talk for this evening. Uh, I basically just wanted to talk about, you know, our, our heart. And why we would study the biblical calendar, why we would celebrate things like the biblical new month, um, and I'll just talk for a really brief moment here about what we can do to celebrate this. And in the next couple months, I mean, hey, this thing comes around once a month, right? <laughs> or does one once one month come around for this? I don't know how that works, but whatever whatever it is. Um, We're we're going to have another talk about this and just the history of the calendar and how it was done in Yeshua's time. um, Some practical applications of it. But I, I think that should probably be enough for tonight. What do you think? Did anybody notice the one thing that is going to be happening from Rosh Chodesh, like the new moon? From Rosh Chodesh to Rosh Chodesh according to the book of Isaiah in the future? Yeah, it says from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. What's going to happen? Worship. That's right. So, what if we just do some worshiping this evening to kind of get uh, get on track with that? I think that's the heart of it, isn't it? Okay, great. So, Colin's going to lead us in some worship, and Genevieve's going to teach us a worship dance or two. Also, does anybody have any questions or comments before we move into that? I have a comment. Okay. Tristan, you have uh, I sing, um, I think it's quote from Rene Descartes, a philosopher. He said, "I think, therefore I am." The proof I am, therefore I sing. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's cool, because like we are right with God. He has put us on track with Him, you know, in our hearts. Therefore, we express it in our lifestyles. Hey, wow! Are you a philosopher too? You should write a book. Great. It does Restoration of all things. Mm. Mike, that is awesome. I, that is so true, isn't it? Yeah. He didn't say don't do that stuff. That's Old Testament. He said don't let people judge you for doing it. And I think that's an awesome rule, also, for those of us who are recovering the roots of our faith. You know, we're doing this stuff, but we're also not to judge other people. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, really, are you know, we have a Jewish Messiah. Hopefully Gentiles can believe in him and follow him, hey? Um, the New Testament is a thoroughly Jewish document. Hopefully Gentiles can read it and live by it and follow it. The early church was pretty Jewish, but there were a lot of Gentiles there too. So, you know, when, when we think in those terms, we realized, you know, like we were talking about, it's not that the people of Israel were grafted into the Gentiles, like, like is actually kind of often thought today, but the people, believers coming from the nations were grafted into the people of Israel. And it's kind of hard to get grafted into the people of Israel, I assume, and yet not touch anything uh, the the people of Israel do. (laughs) Thank you for joining us in this message. I pray that it's been an inspiration to you and your discipleship to Yeshua the Messiah. Crown of Messiah is a relatively small congregation with a massive mission. We're not just making disciples and teaching the Word of God here in our city. We're also doing that internationally through vehicles such as the internet. It is our joy to offer you these messages for free at absolutely no charge. At the same time, we do have ongoing overhead expenses. It costs us something to produce these teachings and get them out to you. And we would appreciate it if you would in turn support our work in a practical way. Help us cover some of our basic expenses. You can do that by going to our website, crownofmessiah.com, and going to the donate page, where you can make a one time donation or you can set up a monthly automated donation. I'm reminded of the words of Yeshua's Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6. He said, Let the one who is taught the word share everything good with his teacher. So if you're being taught the word by us, we would appreciate it if you would take the words of Yeshua's Apostle seriously and make some type of return for the blessing that we are giving you for free that way we'll all be in it together and we will be a team accomplishing the mission that Yeshua has given us and you will go from only being a receiver to also being a giver if you're like most people finances are tight we understand that finances are tight for us too that's why we need people like you to come alongside us and to back us in the work that Yeshua has called us to do. Thank you so much for making that donation at crownmessiah.com, and thank you for becoming a team member with us. We appreciate it.